I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Hayden, by the way. And we love to watch. We love to watch Gremlins 2 make fun of Gremlins 1. Fresh meat up on the street and give a fuck about that. Snatch a car damn town where I'm saying damn weak. Trying to get the same bitches on the same damn street. Rob a whole ass nigga at the same damn time. At the same damn time. At the same damn time. Cause they gremlin. Hey Pete. Hey Hayden. Hey Aaron. And Pete. <laughs> I was hoping you just weren't going to say hi to Pete. And I'm like, this is going to be a fun dynamic. <laughs> uh, I love sudden cold shoulders that no one was expecting based on our pre-show um, banter. Hey, hey, hey Aaron. Um, yeah, what's up? I, I I feel like maybe I should say hi to Hayden, but I just I just don't feel comfortable yet. So maybe if you could just get off my fucking ass, that would be great. Uh, sure. I I think what we could do is just we'll mediate the whole show through me, and then like you guys are like very stubborn people having an argument. Pete, Pete you can be like, hey Aaron, can you tell Hayden I agreed with his last point, and I'll go Hayden. Peter agreed with your last point. I think that's a great idea, Aaron. Peter. Hayden said that he thinks that's a great idea. <laughs> I think by hour two, we might actually get to the movie. Yeah, this is a good start. Oh, man, that is optimistic, I think, uh, in general. So, uh, Hayden, thank you so much for joining us on our uh, last question mark uh, episode of uh, – last episode of We Love to Watch. Uh, no, our, our last episode of our, <laughs> of, of our, um, of our Dante month. Uh, Don't spook people, Aaron. It's not Spooktober yet. Peter, I was trying to do a tease because we actually have a surprise Dante episode coming next week. But then I fucked it all up. Thank God you're whispering or someone might hear you. Yeah, I I assume everyone listens to this at like the bare minimum volume for hearing a normal voice. This is like the equivalent of the video game where you slide the slider down so that you can't see the dragon to make the perfect brightness. (laughs) Oh, got it. Got it. Yeah. The metaphor works. Uh, Yeah. So, but we are, this is Joe Dante summer, uh, July. It's uh, the, we're doing Gremlins 2. And what what show are we doing Gremlins 2 on? A little podcast called We Love to Watch. And if you've never heard us, we're a movie podcast that picks a theme and does uh, episodes throughout the month based on that theme. And sometimes, if we remember, we can compare and contrast them. And uh, this month was picked by you, the audience. Joe, Dante, Summer, uh, one of my, I think, probably my favorite director. And we are ending here on my favorite of his movies and one of my favorite movies of all time gremlins 2 the new batch uh and hayden you picked a very good movie to talk about (laughs) i want to hear more about um your joe dante experience i think that's kind of been our segment this month uh with apologies (laughs) to last week for anyone peter did you have a more formal apology you'd like to offer people for last week's segment or have you not thought about it much since then um (laughs) The only way I live my life is, uh, you know, no regrets, and that is because I uh, was in a car accident and don't have short-term memory. I'm going to offer up an alternate (laughs) philosophy, if you don't mind. Alternate philosophy, one regret going forward, last week's game. Can you change your tattoo easily enough? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I have one regret. And that's forgetting how many regrets I have. You're you're essentially Leonard from Memento. Uh, for your birthday this next year, I'm going to get you a tattoo that says, number eight, don't forget I made a really weird game once. 
<laughs> and then a, a picture of Hayden that says, "Don't trust this man." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So I only Hayden... communicate to him through tattoos. <laughs> That'd be great. Appreciate that. So Hayden, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, We're very excited. We, uh, oh. I, we've been t- we've been talking to you essentially uh, like like many uh, people that we bring on the show through the Dissolve for about three years now. Uh, the Dissolve Facebook group. So uh, it's always exciting to get a chance to talk to people like that in people like that. Sounds like an insult. I don't mean it that way, but yeah, <laughs> one of those what do you in mean real life. I'm those not, people. Uh, it's a great place to, uh, you know, hang out and uh, yeah. brought me here. Hayden was very excited about being the, the first Canadian guest until we told him <laughs> he's actually the second. Yep. Yeah. Eric who, Gallieni. Yep, he was Fucking he was our Eric. first. So um, <laughs> if you guys want to fight to the death at any point, uh, we you know uh, much like a Highlander Canadian guest, there can only be one. <laughs> you know we 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 preach a lot of nonviolence on the show. We mean it, so just let us know what happens. For sure, I preach violence on the show. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of Pete's whole thing. Uh, <laughs> Hayden, so tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe in the format of three things. Three things about me. Uh, okay, um, <laughs> I am a student filmmaker. I make movies. I don't really have a set movie making path yet. I like to do lots of things, uh, including directing and writing. Uh, I dabble in composing, apparently. Um, but uh, yeah, that's what I do most of the time. Uh, fact number- I think you should know if you compose. Like, I don't think. Jerry Goldsmith, when he was alive, was like, did I just write a theme song for Star Trek The Next Generation? Or no. Like, you need to be a little more definitive about whether you composed or not. I have composed before. Right. I was. It was. Uh, it's a long story, but um, I was basically thrown into it in a very short post-production period. And now I am a credited composer on a short I made. Which means you are a composer. Yeah, you're a composer. That's, I mean, that's a feather in your cap. Yeah, yeah. I'll take it. Sounds Which like you can use to conduct with. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't uh, I don't have many feathers in that cap, so it can it has a wide home there. How big is this hat? <laughs> it's not big. I have a very small head. <laughs> okay. <laughs> not a lot of room to expand feather wise. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> I suggest first getting a big hat. <laughs> Go hat yeah. first and then the feathers will come. That's yeah, the I feathers will come. And then um, yeah, I do that most of the time and uh, in my off time, it's summer right now, so I'm working on a TV show as a casting assistant slash, like, casting coordinator. Um, I can't say much about the show right now because it's still in development, so it's a bit of a secret. But, uh, Ooh. yeah, I uh, it's kind of this true crime reenactment documentary series, uh, and I'm having a great time, uh, and I hope I can plug it. You're working on Unsolved Mysteries. Let me ask you a question. Blink twice if it's a yes, because I know you can't answer it. <laughs> is it a remake of Rescue 911? Oh, interesting. <laughs> An interesting answer, I yeah, assume. I, I heard the blinks. They're very loud blinks. It was like a fucking window slamming. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Most of my very small head is huge eyes and a big mouth. Uh, Hayden was designed in a Pixar lab (laughs) And he's got metal implants on his uh, eyelids So Mm -hmm. that really makes a clang When they slam down That is awesome though Uh, You definitely need to tell us more about it uh, As as you uh, 
as it gets closer to development and shooting. Yeah, it's um, super exciting. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, hopefully at a future date I can plug the show. I mean, I could I could plug my student filmmaking if any of your listeners are sick of watching uh, professional, well produced films. They can uh, <laughs> check out my my bad amateurish films. <laughs> <laughs> we always are impressed though by the work that we see uh, in our guests, and I'm very excited to see more of your work. Um, One more. Uh, fact number three, I run, uh, your guys' fan club. It's called We Love to Listen, and, uh, um, we sell t-shirts with pictures of both of you, Aaron's family, on them. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> Sorry, you guys don't have a fan club. I was pretty excited about it. Like, I feel, I feel safe with those t-shirts in Canada. Uh... Yeah, like there's a lot of energy. <laughs> like if it's most, like if you're handing out t-shirts to Canadian fans, and one of those people want to kill me, you got to get a passport. It's a whole big thing. So, yeah, I, I feel pretty comfortable about it <laughs> in another country. Yeah, uh, I, we just won't tell uh, my wife. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> I uh, that was a lie. I was just reaching for a third fact because there's not <laughs> there's not that much going on in my life. But uh, uh, I guess fact number three, <laughs> the real one. Two two, tr- two truths and a lie <laughs> yeah. um, is a game you don't know how to play. Is fact number three. <laughs> uh, this is the real fact number three. My uh, full name is uh, separatable into uh, one syllable English words. If you take my first name, uh, Hayden. You get Hay and Den. You take my middle name, Stuart. You get Stu and Art. You take my last name. Well, it's pretty uh, self-explanatory. My last name is similar to that. Mo, as in short for motherfucker, and Ran, <laughs> as in, of course, I ran so far away. Um, <laughs> yeah, my last name also, my first name, Air Ron. Air is something we all breathe. Ron is the guy that works at your office that you don't care for. And then Arm and Strong. <laughs> Very common words people use all the time. Oh wow, we're very special. <laughs> we can bar we can borrow each other's syllables someday and create new names someday. Aaron, I would love to take all the syllables in your name and all of the the memories that you have and wipe a clean slate of your life. And maybe just maybe I can make a new co-host out of you. <laughs> I mean, ideally, does he? Does that guy have to edit? Because it was very tight. <laughs> he drools a lot, but that's, that's fine. He's like he's like the one gremlin in this movie that's just uh just kind of a stupid idiot motherfucker gremlin. <laughs> <Daffy>. like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's thank you so much, Hayden. Um, we're gonna get into a couple things for our opening segment first because this is Joe Dante month. Uh, we want to get a little bit of background on your experience with the, the movies and films of Joe Dante. You probably heard us talk about it a little bit uh, on our matinee episode. So, yep. uh, but and and we heard Joey's background. We heard Dustin Adams last week, uh, and we heard something completely different because it was just a Pete and me episode last week. But we want to hear. Uh, you know, Joe Dante is definitely one of those directors who, uh, in like cinephile circles, uh, he has become kind of one of the the. I don't know. I don't know. Like the populist heroes or something like that that made these popular movies that have kind of been rediscovered as this, as this kind of zany art. So, uh, so Hayden, what is had you seen this movie before? Um, and what is your overall experience with with Joe Dante? 
Okay, so me and Joe Dante go back a little bit. <clears throat> Our story is just as interesting as everything else that's happened in my life, um, <laughs> which is that I watched a few Joe Dante movies on cable growing up. Um, just a handful of them. Uh, Gremlins, Gremlins 2, Small Soldiers, and The Burbs uh, were frequently on cable. So I grew up with a collective memory, kind of, of all of them, just kind of bits and pieces. So revisiting for this podcast was very interesting. Um, as a kid, I could never really differentiate between Gremlins and Gremlins 2. And it's, it was weird to finally see how actually different they are from one another. Um, and yeah, I don't know. He's always kind of been in the back of my head and kind of swirling around in there. I was never really, uh, I was never really enthralled by his movies, although, uh, revisiting the ones that I know Gremlins 2 very much stood out as a kind of a singular movie in a lot of ways. And I am super excited that it's the one I get to talk about. Um, I think, I think Gremlins uh in its you know status as a minor american contemporary classic i don't know if it holds up exactly to that but i think gremlins 2 does uh even though it doesn't maybe have that status and i think it pushes uh pushes the bar quite a bit and uh, i think it's joe dante's as far as i've seen joe dante's you know singular movie that's interesting because, yeah, I uh, will definitely end up talking about Gremlins, the first one on this show uh, someday. It's a movie I really like, but I was kind of surprised uh, that that Gremlins is still – that I, Peter, I believe you still prefer Gremlins to Gremlins 2, correct? Uh, yeah, uh, but it's a tight race between that and Burbs and Gremlins 2. Gremlins 2 is a, is a remarkable movie, a unique movie. It, it feels like – Nothing of the era, nothing of its ilk. And the fact that it's not a rehash of the first one is yeah, so refreshing. Because they could have just been like, well, then Billy moves to the big city and the gremlins break out. Like, no, it's way, way weirder than that. It's yeah. way funnier and more meta than that. Uh, and we'll definitely talk about that because uh, that's what that originally that's what it was going to be. It was going to be. More Gremlins, and I, I actually revisited both um, prior to this podcast, uh, just kind of to confirm my thoughts about Gremlins 1 in general, where, you know, Gremlins 1 uh, gets really fun in the last 20 minutes, but and gets pretty crazy in the last 20 minutes, uh, but takes, but is much more mundane, I think, getting there, Um and that's not necessarily criticism. It's just it's a, it's a slow build and things you know get chaotic at the very end, which is typical for a lot it's of a traditional movies. movies. They yeah. want you to they want you to care about the characters yep. and sort of build the world, and then they and, gro- and gro- yeah and ground people too. Like they're supposed yes. to be real people. And this one, it was so it, even again rewatching it for the show, it was like oh, in a hour and fifty minute movie, they dispense with any even minor semblance of grounding the characters and keeping things pretty on the level in like the first 40 minutes. And then the last hour and 10 minutes is the eruption of chaos and things aren't that grounded in the first 40 minutes anyways, but the, uh, the amount of time that they give to the chaos is, is remarkable. And we'll definitely talk about that more. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, 
like I said, it's, it's definitely my favorite Dante movie. And I think it's become kind of a special place for a lot of cinephiles is like this thing that people revisit as an adult and go, oh, holy fucking shit. This movie's insane. Like I can see I, I saw the uh, these when I was younger as well. Yeah, I, I, I definitely thought Gremlins 2 was more was kind of just, you know, like Gremlins 1. Like they had a beginning with that was cute and fluffy with Ma, uh, Mogwai. With, sorry, with Gizmo, who is a Mogwai. Uh, and then they get crazy. And uh, one's in an office building, one's in a small town. And it wasn't until I rewatched them for the uh, first time in a long time when I was in college where I was like, oh, holy shit, this movie's doing some bizarre <laughs> things. Which segues us very nicely into the other thing that we wanted to talk about during this opening segment. Is a uh, skit that reminded the country who may not have uh, discovered that on their own through, like, uh, watching all the Joe Dante movies or revisiting Gremlins 2, uh, how fucking crazy Gremlins 2 is, uh, and that is uh, the Key and Peel skit uh, regarding uh, the the writing of Gremlins 2. Now, uh, <laughs> Hayden, did you get a chance to watch this? I know there was some uh, Canadian uh, difficulties that you were concerned about in uh, being able to watch uh, Comedy Central clips. Uh, I did watch it, and it's a great skit. Uh, <laughs> I was laughing a lot, and it gets kind of funnier every time I watch it. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jordan is just a, he's a hurricane in it. Yeah. Oh, he's so good. <laughs> the genius of that skit is that the entire joke is just saying shit that happens in Gremlins 2. <laughs> and to the audience who probably hasn't watched Gremlins 2 in a while, being like, there's no fucking way that's in Gremlins 2. That sounds <laughs> progressively more insane. So the reason the joke works, but it, like, there's not that much to it. No. Like, and for someone like me who watched Gremlins 2 all the time before I saw, you know, the Gremlins 2 skit, it was like, at first it was a little bit of just a nod and recognition. Like, yeah, no, yeah, that's awesome that they've seen this movie and love it like I do. And then it became like really big on social media and the interwebs and stuff like that. And everyone kind of like, I feel like went a, holy shit, that's right. Gremlins 2 is crazy. And that that made me appreciate the skit more because it does feel like now we have the, uh, you know, the brain gremlin having a very active and followed Twitter account regarding all of his thoughts and uh, musings on in the, in the style of the brain uh, gremlin in this movie. And it feels like that was kind of a, a resurgence to the public conscious or at least um, the, the public that watches Keen Peel of like, this movie deserves another look. This is not a cheapy sequel of the movie of the first movie it's the opposite it feels so much bigger and joe dante actually said that this one was way more fun to make because the yep. first one was about figuring out the groundwork and and what you could do with these puppets and what you couldn't do and kind of figuring out the world and this one was like we've got the puppetry down we got the robotics down obviously there were still challenges it's you're making a movie with live action characters against puppets it's going to be fucking hard but he said like this one was like a joy to work on because it was they had figured out the like nightmare stuff and they could really play around and and 
fuck with what they had done originally. Well, yeah, that, it really feels like that's how they wrote it. Like they had the they had the puppet thing down, <laughs> and then they were just like, "How many different kinds of gremlins can we get in this movie?" And then <laughs> let's base the script entirely on that. Yeah, that's the premise of the Key and Peele bit. But yes, it does truly feel like a playground movie, and this is a movie that if as a kid I had seen this more, like. Maybe I would have been more into it because it is, weirdly enough, like, this one is more kid-friendly than the first. Yeah. And yet, it's so much weirder and it's it, it feels like more of a subversive weird, a subversive act, despite the fact that it got more kid-friendly. Which is, So it's kind of like, you know, one step backward and three steps forward. Well, and and Joe Dante also, the reason he got to make this, and I think that's why he said he's had more fun making it, is that, like, he got to do whatever he wanted. And anytime you watch any Joe Dante movie, and we've been reminded of that all month, like, he's always a very good director. But you can tell when he's having the most fun in his movies uh, is when he gets to just throw shit at the screen and be a goofball and take things up to 11. And he gets to do that for most of this movie. And the reason that is is that they had wanted to make a Gremlins for a long time and he said he didn't want to direct a sequel. And they it, the projects kept failing and failing and failing, and finally, you know, because this came back, this came out six for Gremlins being the number four grossing movie of 1984 and this huge phenomenon. This sequel didn't come out till 1990, um, and they finally got Joe Dante back uh, when all the other attempts had failed, and his his demands were okay, but I I could do whatever I want, like I get final <laughs> cut, I get my budget. And then you guys leave me alone. And that's why this is commonly kind of referred to as the most Joe Dante of the Joe Dante movies, because he really had both the budget and the freedom to put whatever he wanted uh, on screen. Uh, The only person he did listen to uh, from the stuff I read was Steven Spielberg, who made him cut about 15 minutes of more random gremlin shit. He's like, (laughs) Steven Spielberg (laughs) was like... You have an hour and 25 minutes. You need to cut it down a little bit. So uh, somewhere out there, there is much more random, uh, crazy shit that happens uh, on the different floors. Yeah, you know, I like Spielberg a lot, but uh, come on. Well, yeah, <laughs> make this four hours. Like, <laughs> Can't have too much of a good thing. I would imagine, Aaron, you have kids. You would show this movie to your kids way before the first one, right? Oh, yeah. Maybe I mean, five again, years before the first one. <laughs> absolutely. Like, I I would probably not even be that opposed to showing this to my four-year-old now. Uh, you know, if she can make it through Labyrinth, I think there's, like, uh, and not make it through, like, request to watch Labyrinth over and over. Like, this seems on that level of scariness. But also, it is, it you know, this has kind of been described as his Looney Tunes movie, too. Even though he did go on to make a Looney Tunes movie that I actually really like. Because it is so bright and colorful and cartoony from the get-go. Um, and I think it would hold her interest. I like it's not just about like the appropriateness is that I think it would hold her interest more than the first one would, which starts out, you know, very slow and kind of dramatic as it kind of grounds the characters in real life before Joe Dante explodes it. So both from a um, both from a able to handle the visual standpoint and just a, hey, you would actually probably be more interested in this one. I would show I would show this one first. 
Joe Dante made a live-action cartoon that has jokes for kids, jokes for adults. There's almost no sex jokes. Like, it's clearly, like, this is a movie that I, I, like, like you said, and, like, I would say if I had kids, like, I would show to my kids at, like, a youngish age because it's just so wild and wacky and fun and there's monsters and stuff, is that the movie was a bomb. Yeah. The movie cost five times what the first gremlins cost the first uh, first gremlins was pretty modest it was like an 11 million dollar movie which is nuts to think about and then gremlins 2 cost 50 million and it made 40 you have to think if the two had been switched somehow and two could have used that that goodwill that the first one built up through its marketing with gizmo as this cute little guy and then ruined by being a very like scary movie the first one's pretty gory and pretty scary i have to think that if they had just advertised the first the second movie with that it would have been an even bigger hit than the first gremlins was because it's it is so much more kid friendly and i think so much more marketable even though it's way weirder so the um basically the reason that gremlins 2 didn't do well is a couple different ones but joe dante is like we just waited too long like Six years for for that kind of sequel was too long, uh, and you know it wasn't like something that people were necessarily clamoring for a sequel because the first Gremlins is a pretty complete story. So like the cash in aspect of getting people in the theaters when they were still excited about the property, like was gone. And then the other reason that it didn't make that much money is that Warner Brothers was worried that uh, Dick Tracy was going to break Batman's opening box office record. And so they moved the <laughs> film to open the same day as Dick Tracy uh, with uh, – and it was supposed to open later. So it like took some of its marketing run-up time in order to make sure that Dick Tracy did not break the Batman box office opening weekend <laughs> record. So that is 100 percent true. I did not know that before researching this that uh, Warner Brothers did not – was worried Dick Tracy was going to break the Batman record. So they moved up Gremlins 2 to release it alongside – Dick Tracy to try to take some of the money that Dick Tracy, they were worried, was was going to get that opening weekend. Dick Tracy <laughs> banned from the show. I like Dick Tracy a lot. <laughs> Never do Dick, we are not doing Dick Tracy on the show. I mean, honestly, what we shouldn't do is Batman because it was the Batman people, but we already did it, Peter. We already did it. We goofed. You we know, goofed, frankly. I think it's funny you, get, you mentioned Batman um, just because I think if there is a comparison point for a lot of Gremlins 2, I think... It could very easily be compared to Batman Returns in that it was kind of a would-be box office smash that did not hit, uh, mostly because it was a sequel that doubled down on all the weird parts of its predecessor and then just uh, failed to capitalize for whatever reason. But, uh, yeah. You're 100%. That's such a great great observation because it is like – they did double down on all the strangest stuff, all the craziest stuff, and the audience in general was like, hey, what the fuck is this? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Though I will say, like I said, all the crazy strange stuff in Gremlins 2 is marketable. All the crazy strange stuff in Batman Returns is like... (laughs) Like, let's make a weird sex triangle or sex quadrilateral with like Max Shrek Catwoman, Penguin, and Batman, and then make it also super sad. Like Batman Returns is a movie we we fucking loved on the show. Um, when we oh yeah, me too. In March, but yeah, that's a great comparison in terms of style. Like one feels like they were like the first one feels like they were like the studio is like okay, 
there's your vision, but let us pour some skim milk in there. And then the second one, they're like, okay, maybe too much vision. Okay. Uh, uh, why, why so much vision? Uh, yeah. So you're all, you're also right in that there were both movies that were the result of the director, uh, basically being able to say, give me all the money and let me do whatever I want. That was Batman returns with Tim Burton. And very much as we just talked about Joe Dante with Gremlins too, like they both were, you know, visionary directors. Um, I'm kind of laughing because Tim Burton, like we said, <laughs> did not stay at that level. That it's kind of embarrassing to call him that. Although but every did, preview for everyone for almost a decade after, like I know, but like every fucking preview for like Mrs. Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children is like from visionary director. <laughs> Would you guys There's, be surprised if? Tim Burton now directed no movies and they just had like an Instagram photo filter called Tim Burton that they applied to every movie. And then Danny Elfman just falls asleep on his piano and that's the score. <laughs> he just he just falls on whichever button does the hum 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 hum. <laughs> um, do you guys want to talk about uh, Gremlins 2? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. I believe I am alternate tagline. I think instead of alternate taglines, do you remember when we were coming up with uh, little rhymes to to let people know which gremlins they're watching? Mm-hmm. Uh, I say we try to come up with a couple of those on the spot. Okay. We should have written them down instead of just making each other laugh over text for like a half hour. But uh, we, I think we could do it. Uh, uh, so, uh, Peter, do you want to start? Do I want to start? <laughs> oh, you want me to start? Uh, if if your movie has Judge Reinhold, Gremlins 1 is what you are behold. <laughs> okay. okay. Wow, uh-huh. Peter, are you going to top that one? <laughs> what is what you have behold? Yeah. I, I, I thought I had something there, but then I forgot about tenses suddenly. Yeah. Uh, and it really fucked me up. Yeah. Uh, well, well, uh, Gremlins Two is lots of fun. Uh, Gremlins One, I can't do this. <laughs> is Gremlins One? <laughs> is Gremlins One? <laughs> In Gremlins One, it takes place at Christmas. Oh no! And Gremlins Two, you don't want to miss this. Uh, no, it's it'd be more like if your movie, if the movie you're watching has Christmas cheer, Gremlins One is here. <laughs> If the movie you're watching takes place on the streets, Gremlins 2 is pretty neat. <laughs> if, if Phoebe, Phoebe Cates, Cates dad, wears a hat, Gremlins 2 has got your back. If Phoebe Cates' dad uh, died in the chimney, it's Gremlins 1 that you're witnessing. Oh, <laughs> Phoebe <Jesus> Cates. <laughs> this just gets worse every second. <laughs> The the reason there's a reason these are better when you get to write them down. Oh yeah, it's so much easier. Um, um, um I say Gremlins one is uh, pine scented. Gremlins two is business oriented. Yeah, that, that's pretty good. If uh, Phoebe, Cates, and Zach Galligan are already a match, congratulations, you're watching the new batch. <laughs> if dentist Gremlins is what you require. Then Gremlins 2, it's you desire. 
<laughs> if Hulk Hogan yells at you, congratulations, you're watching Gremlins 2. Make sure you edit in laughs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For these, Peter. Uh, Don't forget about that. Hayden, can you give us some laughs that we can put in to make it seem like we're really <laughs> cracking up the guest? <laughs> How's that? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we got him. Just repeat that over and over. Double it. That's a reverberation. <laughs> If it's if you're looking for Christopher Lee, Gremlins Two is where he be. This Gremlins Two is where he be. <laughs> if it's if it's Dick Miller, you require. <laughs> uh, either one will stroke your fire. I got I gotta ask for a second. You guys normally yeah. have like I feel like a handful of alternate taglines. Do you just like normally do this many and then just take all them out? <laughs> Oh, yeah, we just keep so, editing it until it's funny, uh, and then sometimes we don't get there. So these, these are not necessarily ultimate, or ultimate taglines. These are not ultimate taglines. Uh, these are not necessarily alternate taglines. These are more how to tell which Gremlins movie uh, that you're watching, which we didn't set up really well. It's just only funny <laughs> to Peter yeah. and I. Yeah, Aaron, I found the, I, I found the good ones. I found the good ones. Okay. Uh, okay. I, uh, I came up with a way to remember which Gremlins is which. If it's a Christmas gift, it's Gremlins, bitch. If it's like Looney Tunes, it's Gremlins 2. Uh, if and then you said, if there's not much sun, it's Gremlins 1. If Hulk Hogan rips his shirt in two, it's Gremlins 2. <laughs> if Phoebe Cates talks about her dead dad, it's the first Gremlins you have had. If Phoebe Cates talks about her dead dad, it's the second Gremlins you have had. <laughs> if you're having tons of fun, congrats you're watching Gremlins 1. If you think this movie is quite the catch, congrats you're watching the new batch. All right, one more, one more. <laughs> these are the good ones, right? Yeah, these are the good ones. They're very good. It's clear that we we both we both had similar ideas impromptu as well. So it's always nice to know how consistent our brains were. Yes. If if your gremlins are watching Snow White, it's time for Gremlins Delight. If your gremlins are ruining TV, it's Gremlins Two for thee. <laughs> you know, just like I think there are some things man was not meant to splice. There are some things that man was not meant to rhyme. And maybe that includes gremlins and gremlins, too. Here's the thing. Rhyming is very different on this part of the continent. Uh, <laughs> Everything we've said is a, actually a good a little rhyme more down loose. here. <laughs> yeah. We, remember, we really perverted the English language so that really everything rhymes. Uh, it just depends on your accent. And last, um, last week's game was also a, a strict... Uh, endorsement of, yeah. of the looseness of rhyming. Basically, if, if it's a t if it's two words, they rhyme. Yeah, if loose rhyming seems fun to you, what, listen to our episode on rock and roll high school. <laughs> <laughs> I just hope uh, Hayden, anyway. I just hope Hayden is grandly uncomfortable by how, how long. Yeah, this is going I think on. this is more like Pete and Aaron episode material. This is not something. <laughs> Subject guest to, which is the highest of compliments. Yeah. Oh, thank you, thank you. Uh, you're not only getting to see how the sausage is made; you're getting to see <laughs> why we don't sell sausages. <laughs> we generally are not a sausage-based company. <laughs> no, and at best, we're only offering free samples. You do not have to buy them. There's no line. We haven't been licensed by a health God. inspector of any sort. <laughs> If it's rhyming that you like to botch, you should listen to We Love to Watch. Phoebe Cates, 
and 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 Zach uh, Zaxter are in, are in the big city, New York City, city of wind, and they are <laughs> down there. They're doing business in the big corporate life, living in a small shitty apartment. This is mean New York, if you're wondering. Everyone is mean all the time. They work at a sh- oh. They work at a shitty corporation called like Clamp Corp, uh, and it's a massive office building that does uh, real estate development, TV, all sorts of stuff. Most importantly, it's a TV studio, also in this massive building with a high tech security it's system. Everything. Because of a mishap uh, with trying to acquire land for the tower and all that, Gizmo ends up getting captured from the. Uh, the the uh, Chinese uh, store that Gizmo ended up in at the end of the first movie and at the beginning of the first movie, of course, and ends up in a lab <laughs> run by Christopher Lee, who's ex- doing evil experiments on these animals. And he uh, eventually, Gizmo being Gizmo, escapes from the lab. He's reunited with Zack inside of the corporation. Zack has to uh, try and protect Gizmo and keep him safe. And... Um, then Zach's boss uh, is, is uh, sexually harassing him and makes him go on a date with her. And while he has to hide Gizmo in the office, uh, Gizmo ends up getting wet, creates a whole bunch of gremlins. And I bet you can guess where this is going. The office and the entire rest of the movie is 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 it descending into chaos and Zach trying Zach and. Um, Phoebe Cates trying to explain to people the rules of the gremlins and how you stop them. At the end of the movie, uh, the gremlins are finally all gathered, ready to go outside and take over New York City and cause chaos out there. And they uh, figure out a way to use the electrical gremlin. (laughs) Yes, there's all (laughs) sorts of new gremlin types. Um, all of the gremlins who are gathered in the lobby. And basically, they get the, the gremlins wet, use the electrical gremlin to shock them all to death, and then uh, the movie is over. The, the the heroes win the day, and then Clamp's uh, military aliens, colonial marines come in and, and smash up the rest of them, and uh, it's a happy ending. I think Zack gets a raise. What happens at the end of the movie? Zack gets a raise. They they get an offer for... He gets a raise. They're gonna... Th- he sees, uh, Mr. Clamp sees the drawing of the whatever falls from the first movie and is like, yeah, people don't want to see stuff in the city. No one likes that. Let's build this a quiet town. That's what people want. Um, by the way, John Hurt is amazing in this movie. John Hurt? Uh, he should be in more movies. John Glover? John Glover. Sorry. <laughs> John Glover. Uh, <laughs> Yes, John Glover is amazing in this movie. And he's it's actually our second John Glover movie this year, Peter. Do you remember what the first one oh, is? Oh, Batman and Robin. Yeah, yep, I knew that's it. That's right. Oh yeah. Um Gremlins 2 is is a movie. Yeah, you can't deny it. A motion picture association yeah. of America. Everything that I skipped over in the middle is why people love it. So we need to get <laughs> yeah. into that. It is a it is a subversive film about gremlins causing chaos and all the jokes that the gremlins are pulling all of the chaos they're pulling both within the building and within the film itself in a metatextual way uh, all those jokes and uh gags and and the way that people comment on them is pointing to the joe dante's thoughts on hollywood major corporations on living in the big city on you know what it's like to be 
uh, in a workforce when you're young and exploitable, like what, <laughs> uh, what it's like to uh, have, you know, something you love be commercialized and like what it's like, how media reacts to this, these particular like, you know, terrorist incidents, for lack of a better word, like th- there's so much crap going on in this movie. It's just overstuffed with jokes. And I think one of the main things that that this movie is about, it is about all that stuff, but it's also about how arbitrary and stupid. And, he, and he's not saying they're really stupid like this, like in a, in a condescending or like hateful way, but like how arbitrary and stupid the rules behind Movies work. The one thing that people really love about this movie, what I love about this movie, is that it is taking all of the version of, 1990 version of internet comments of people going, well, how does this work (laughs) in this movie? And basically saying, and having, putting them in all of the characters' mouth, and then having those characters get brutally exploded by by, or shot or whatever else by gremlins. And I think his point is that, like, People worry too much about how realistic a movie is. And this movie blows that up by, A, like, directly calling it out, but also then saying, hey, how about if I spend the next hour doing a bunch of stuff that has no semblance of bearing to reality or the rules that I've defined in this movie, but is a shit ton of fun to watch? It is a shit ton of fun to watch, and I think uh, I have a point to make before we get to all the gags and all the little details, which is that I think, you know, this this movie is just structurally, it's off the fucking chain. Like, and it, it has very, uh, very small setup for a whole barrage of uh, events that will come to follow, but I think structurally it's a very weird movie. Like, they, you, Peter, you said it was a happy ending. Um, at the end of the film, and I don't necessarily feel that it is that way. I feel I I kind of feel sad when the Gremlins party gets crashed and they all get electrocuted <laughs> and they turn into this great goopy mess. But um, the film seems to set up this whatever it is this um this battle between uh Gizmo and whatever Gizmo is supposed to represent and uh Robert Picardo. As representing, you know, the the corporatist mentality force. Um, and that's the first thing in the movie is Robert Picardo uh, and Clamp on the TV. They come to the Chinese, you know, souvenir shop or whatever it is. And uh, they threaten the owner. And um, Gizmo's obviously very shaken by it. And uh, by the end of the movie, I'm kind of confused... Um, by where Joe Dante leaves us with that struggle. Um, because Gizmo is ostensibly happy that he's with, you know, he's with uh, his friend Billy. But the corporatization has also found a way to make the whole Gremlins debacle into something that they can sell. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and not just that, the the small town and Gremlins itself. Like, yeah. It's not just like the struggle. It's so that he can be a hero um, but also, like, you know, in, in a one-two punch, he, he sees uh, Gizmo and is like, we could make tons of that. I see suction cups. I see it on the walls. I see kids loving this. Uh, we'll talk about licensing and all this stuff. And also, oh, the picture of the hometown you grow up? That's a city. We can start marketing these as the, the small, peaceful life for people that don't want to be in this city. People are sick of the city. Like, 
so it's kind of taking everything about him uh, and, and like, taking everything about the first movie and, like, strip mining it for parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that – I mean, that that itself is a commentary on sequels in general, right? Like, it's this idea of when you, when you make a sequel – um, you're taking stuff and strip mining it. You're selling out. You want more toys. You want more uh, music videos and soundtrack sales. And you want more characters. And you're going to, in general, take out all the stuff that was the most successful and remove all the stuff that wasn't successful. So the next movie will be even bigger. And that's, you know, this movie is definitely – it's a, definitely about movie making. Um, mm-hmm. But it's also it, – it's, it's about sequels in general and how, like – you know, they, they are a corporate product that is strip mining the stuff you like to sell it back to you. Mm-hmm. And can you think of <clears> – <throat> we're so cynical about sequels even though at this point like once you're kind of in the know, you know that there's like – oh, there are a lot of great sequels. That whole riff in Scream 2 where people are like, there's no good sequels. Like Jamie Kennedy is like, there's no good sequels. It's like a, it's like a cliche about how movies work, but like it kind of belies what the greater understanding is. Is that like, yes, there's a lot of cash in sequels. There's a lot of great sequels as well. But the truth is those sequels are basically saying the first one made money. It doesn't matter if we already have a concept ready to go. We need to come up with a concept now. And the thing is, like, lots of great movies have come out of that. Like this one? <laughs> desperate, greedy need. Like, Hellraiser 2 and Aliens both came out of this sort of, like, um, well, the first movie is kind of its own little unit. I can't really think of what you would do more with that. And then they did more with it. They blew them both up. They made them much larger movies. They more of, they sort of opened them up also to sequelitizing. So, like... When you make a sequel, you also open it up to more sequels. Well, there's always – I mean, yeah, I agree with you. There's always been good sequels. I mean, it's a common, like, reaction in those types of conversations where if there's no good sequels, it's like, well, like, books had sequels. <laughs> like, this is not a new concept. Like, movies didn't do this. But it is true that Hollywood especially when um, – I think up until the last 10 or 15 years – and we've talked about this before. They just – they – the idea that sequels could be um, art in themselves and, like, that needed to be treated with care and have the right people involved and either, you know, uh, the people that originally were involved in the property or, you know, people that love the property and have this, like, a true, like, vision for how to expand or grow or tell a new story in the universe or whatever else it is. Because, like, there were so many sequels in the 90s and 80s that were just... And that was the by design. Like we need to make as much money out of this as we can as quickly as possible before people grow sick about of it. We talked about that on Batman and Robin, where they the studio didn't care about the script, they didn't care about the director, they just cared about how much they could make for toys. And then when the no one liked the movie, they're like, I guess people don't like Batman anymore, so we'll move on to the next thing. Like it's kind, it was kind of that was the philosophy that these these properties were not things that needed an element of care uh but like things that can be monetized as quickly as possible because it's a it's a candle that's going to burn out and, yeah, and as soon as the wall dries up as soon as the mine uh, goes dead you move on to the next mine exactly and so i think now sequels in general are treated with a little more care in that it's and that's like as much as people hate this idea of like cinematic universes and franchise thinking in the best version of that, at least they are going, hey, this is a popular character. We need to make good properties around 
that universe or that character so that the universe stays around for a long time because audiences will go for that and on the assumption that we actually make good movies and it's why like stuff like dc is so funny to all of us because the dc universe because everyone who watches the dc universe and what they're doing goes this is a terrible idea you don't actually have a vision for this universe you're trying to repeat someone else's vision for the universe and you're doing it trying to get get all the shortcuts to get your big properties out there and make a ton of money without doing what you're trying to copying. Yeah, make it a little mutated along the way. Um, I think uh, Joe Dante is very, very uh, aware of what the, you know, the super saturation and uh, just overdoing it are going to lead to. And that is basically the whole Gremlins, you know, cloning conceit, how they they hatch from the backs of Gizmo and they turn into these weird, mutated, fucked up versions of what Gizmo, whatever Gizmo represents, the Gremlins are the worst thing. And I think Dante is... Uh, just so aware of um, that type of that type of thing in Hollywood, and I think there's so many things in the movie that just point that out. Like the joke I think of a lot is when the gremlins are at the frozen yogurt bar, and one gremlin is just pouring frozen yogurt into another gremlin who is laying on the floor, and they're gonna try and explain this. It's kind of elaborate, even though it's a very short gag. But one gremlin, <laughs> one gremlin is pouring the frozen yogurt. Uh, into the gremlin that's lying on his back and then the gremlin's belly fills up with frozen yogurt and and then when it's when it reaches its you know maximum uh circumference it uh all the frozen yogurt starts coming out of every hole in the gremlin's face (laughs) his ears and his eyes and everything and it's gross but it's uh very funny it's also like the first movie had like Gremlins being put in a microwave and through a shredder and hammered and shot and pulverized. Like this one, they were like, well, they're cartoon characters. Why don't we go at them like cartoon characters? There's like a whole, yeah. like whole franchises like Critters and It's Alive and all these other movies about little little skitter, like skittering monsters that they're shooting at and blowing up. Why don't we do what we do best? Let's make weird cartoon monsters. And I also think it's a commentary on the marketing for how these things are. Where like in the first one, there was um, there's Gizmo, there's Spike, and then there was a lot of Gremlins. And it's this idea of like, oh, we need this gremlin and we need this gremlin because then we can sell more toys. And Batman I, needs to I, drive I the car so- in this movie, even if Batman can walk to the asylum or whatever. Yeah. Like. <laughs> and, and he needs and he needs the car to change. And this I mean, this predates all that stuff. And I wouldn't be surprised if there were toys. But I mean, they make direct reference to like. I'm sure there was – I don't remember because, uh, you know, I'm sure there was like Spider Gremlin and Bat Gremlin. Like I'm sure they did make all those into toys that probably didn't sell all that well because well, – Spider Gremlin's we, fucking we, terrifying. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very scary. But um, but I think the point is is that he was talking about like now you need all these different things because they're not going to keep buying the same toy over and over again. So you need to make, you know – enough variation that there is a need to kind of collect them all so this is three years after ninja turtles like in that toy line and there's i mean there's countless examples but ninja turtles was one that i you know purchased a lot where it was like you know at first you had all the ninja turtles and you had april and you had krang and bebop Rocksteady, and shredder and then they added more villains and then pretty soon it was like basketball donatello undercover leonardo <laughs> like 
what if they're caveman? Like, you, you can't just keep releasing the same thing because no one needs two Leonardos. So, I, you know, you have this Leonardo and then you have movie version Leonardo and then you have, uh, you know... Some, I mean, the the Ninja Turtle ones got especially insane if you were uh, around for it, which probably on this call by age only I was. <laughs> but uh, um, you know that I think I think that kind of like merchandising variety is what he's commenting on. Um, and of course, that stuff trickles down as well, like comic books or the cartoon shows or the movies yeah. start to get a little weirder. They're like, well, what if the Ninja Turtles were samurai or what if Batman was a knight or what if, um, yeah. you yeah. know, <laughs> fucking X-Men were cowboys? Like if the if the cartoons and stuff start Dark getting, Knight, start what about weird. real knight? Yes. And then and then, so I had like, you know, a Batman that was the Kevin Conroy version of Al Kilmer one and this like knight one and a bunch of other shit and it's like so i had like seven fucking batmans because they kept making ways to resell batman to me yeah and and it was because again they were always worried that they wanted to keep it fresh but also that was what ultimately led to those toy lines and properties dying is because instead of like hey let's let's release something when we have something interesting to say it was like we need to always keep this funnel on until it's out of, until they strip mine it, like you said. And it's almost like Joe Dante realized that Gremlins 2 is not going to be a success because it's like he throws every Gremlins idea he has at the wall and is like, well, if we, uh, if we were going to have other movies, we can just throw all those ideas in this one. <laughs> we have to talk about how they make fun of Gremlins 1 in this one, too. Yeah. Because instead of it, normally what they would do in a sequel is be like, let's find a quicker, faster way to have a character explain the rules to the audience. Or add new rules. Yes. Because these are new mutated gremlins and you want to add more complexity. He takes a very boring cliche. Like the worst cliche is there's a killer out there and nobody believes the boy. Yeah. That cliche is so boring in movies. It's always a way to tack on an extra 30 minutes to make it, you know, hit the 80 or 90 minute runtime. He takes that cliche. And by the time that he starts getting his words out of his mouth, they're in the control room with Robert Picardo playing an (laughs) awesome asshole. And everybody, including technicians in the control room, is making fun of the first movie's rules. Like, well, what if... Um, you know, it's always after dark. What if you go on a flight? It's always after midnight yeah. in, this t- in this time zone. Is it a or... meal? Is it a snack? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the time zone guy, uh, whoever brings up the time zones, when he's at the computer and he, he's doing his douchey, like, what if the gremlin gets a kernel of corn stuck in his teeth and then he flies over a time zone or whatever? Or no, it's, <laughs> it's that he eats on the plane. But the time zone changes, and then he gets wrecked because a gremlin comes out of his control panel and, like, (laughs) basically, like, bites his neck off. That's a great game. one of the most violent kills in the movie. Yeah, and I think the point is... Joe Dante hates those people. (laughs) Yeah, like, hey, you know what? We needed to have some way to turn these people into gremlins, and you like watching gremlins, so why don't you shut the fuck up and let us have fun? And I I love that quality about this movie. We talked, Peter, last week about one of the reasons I really love Rock and Roll High School is it's like this idea of max – I like the idea of maximalism in movies. Like I'm not – I don't think enough movies take advantage of the fact that they're movies and can do whatever they want. I think there's too much concern about stuff being grounded in real the real world or real world uh, physics. And, you know, there is a problem when movies break that and they're trying to be in the real world and they're trying to maintain a level of 
reality-based entertainment. I mean, some of the movies we've done, like Goke or Haosu or uh, a lot of the Joe Dante movies, it's like, hey, what if we just do whatever the fuck we want and that's and do that? And one of the reasons I like horror movies and science fiction movies and stuff like that so much is that uh, the, the best sort of directors feel like they can throw out the standard rules because they have all these outside elements that don't – that help the rules not apply. And this really is the ultimate example of that movie where – and it has the budget to do it where I'm going to tell you why the rules are stupid really early on in that scene that we just talked about and then let me have fun for the next hour and ten minutes and I think you're going to have fun too, because nothing needs to make any sense anymore. Not surprisingly, if you listen to the show, uh, I fucking loved that because it does pave way for almost an exhaustive series of gags and kills and jokes. There's, I mean, there's so many jokes that the there's that scene where they're in the office and he finds out the gremlins are gonna the clamp is in the office and finds out the gremlins is going to is going to probably kill the entire office and then get unleashed upon the world. And he's like, great, I'm finally going to get to play my apocalypse tape. <laughs> and you see the tape, you see the tape. And then we, fu- I fucking find out uh, years later that that was based on, on a, real a real tape that CNN had <laughs> that was leaked like four it's years ago. It's incredibly creepy too. It's, it's, um, yeah. it, it's so creepy. You can imagine yourself sitting in the room being like, well, Nothing else left to do but just sit and drink and wait for the end. And then CNN turns on. It's like um, it's like uh, it's class. It's some sort of like classical religious mu- mu- song. And then like a picture yeah. of the White House or a picture of a fluttering flag or something. Joe Dante knew about that video twenty five years before the rest of us did. Like he had heard about <laughs> that that CNN had made that, and he put it in his movie. And I think that's a great example of like. If he thought of something funny or thought of something odd or thought of something interesting, he found – like that movie, that little like video that we get to see 30 seconds of while very funny doesn't have much to do with uh, you know gremlins. But Joe Dante at his best is able to like – I'm going to work in anything I want to do into my movie. Yeah, it's, it's very much a throw whatever gag he can at the wall and see what sticks movie. Um, it's, it's good that – uh, the wide majority of the gags hit. So uh, it's not really a complaint or anything, but uh, yeah, I think that's the type of movie it is. It's not very, it's not very yeah. plot based. It's very much a, just a kind of a delivery belt of gags that just keep getting thrown at you. So, so clamp, uh, Aaron, you mentioned the apocalypse tape with clamp. So yeah, it's based on <laughs> CNN, which means clamp is clamp is a riff of a few billionaires. One is very obvious from his name. And I fucking hate, Aaron, I fucking hate that this is like the sixth <laughs> villain in one of these movies we've done where we're like, this dude's a Trump guy. Like, this, like, See, this one is actually intentional. I don't, it's weird. I, I have kind of a different take. There's something else, a more recent touch point. I guess Trump is unfortunately a constant and recent Trump uh, touch point. I think some of the other Trump stuff has been a little more like sociopathic and he's i think clamp is sociopathic in a in a different way but anyways go go ahead and then i'll yeah, kind of say so my. it is it's uh he's far more of a turner um a ted turner yeah it makes for a few different reasons one yes trump was always this like blathering moronic neanderthal that like the only people that put up with him was because he just like 
fucking forced his way into social circles and he was a very rich dude in New York and that's where celebrities hang out. And so he, he found his way into these parties. That's why you can see Trump with like he but this is more of a Turner thing, which Ted Turner was like he was a goofball, but like he also made Turner classic movies. Yes, and like he had some principles, even if they were a little they they people could um could be like you've you strayed from your principles or like your principles are not encompassing enough. Um, there's a joke in this about like how it's about how Clamp only likes color movies. <laughs> joke because of Ted Turner yeah. was a big proponent of colorization. Clamp is also, yes, sort of this goofball, but like this sort of like aloof goofball, like Ted Turner in interviews, didn't he seemed like the money had kind of gone to his head, like he didn't know how to react to normal people. Same thing when he sees Billy's portrait, because he's like, yeah, oh, so people live like that, huh? Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, you know what it reminds me of? Did you have you guys seen Kid Gorgeous? The uh... yeah, yeah, it's awesome. So what it reminds me of is like. When John Mulaney in that special is talking about, like, when people ask him about celebrities that have appeared on Saturday Night Live, and he's like, are they nice? And he's like, no. They're nice, can't, like, nice to the way that we understand nice is so, it's not even a concept to them. And he talks about, like, Mick Jagger, like, you're, how, you're, how could you possibly relate to people <laughs> on a normal level? Like, like, he's not an unnice guy. But, like, I don't know, is anytime you find a joke not funny, yelling, not funny! Or, like, Diet Coke! And, like, Diet Coke's <laughs> appear. Like, he, like, how could you explain to him at this point in his life that, like, the way he's acting, most people would consider rude? Because, like, he's just not on the same planet as the rest of us because of a variety of reasons. And that's, that touch point was what I was thinking of, of rewatching this movie because that's kind of how Clamp is. It's not that he's, like, evil or dumb. Like Trump, it's just that he is a rich, aloof person who like uh, who has his own eccentricities and clearly like relates to people as numbers more than people because that's the way he sees the world. But like he likes his numbers because his numbers give us money. So it's not like he wants everyone to die or anything like that or like has any sort of like evil sociopathy to him on that level. His sociopathy is more just like, everything is business to me. And so, like, when he's like, you know how many people are in this building? They could all sue us. <laughs> but he also likes the idea of saving everyone. Like, so that's that's what it reminded me of. It's just, like, too rich, too famous, too big to, like, even understand, um, like, normal human behavior. So yeah. he can seem like an asshole, but he's not like a Trump, like, who is just, like, a dumb, marauding You know, asshole. I feel yes. like most of that is John Kelly, just because, well, on the commentary, Joe Dante talks about how they had Clamp as this malevolent, you know, shitbag character, and then John Kelly, or John Kelly, John Glover, John Glover comes on set <laughs> and uh, is so charming and uh, full of life and this absolute cartoon that, uh, you know, Daniel Clamp just becomes this different character when he's playing him and uh the f- i felt bad because the first time i watched gremlins 2 i was actually very disappointed in in john glover for i had very i thought like i had read that he was playing like a trump surrogate so when he fails to you know be uh, a proper trump parody because he's not really i was i was thinking well what's with this but then uh the Trump of the 80s was, in, in to public perspective, a little different, I think. Yeah. Well, this is just my way of saying that John Kelly is fucking great in this movie. He's 
Um, I have nothing against the humans in this movie, but, uh, you know, their second build as, to the gremlins, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. John Kelly, or John, I keep saying John Kelly, John Glover. <laughs> He was in the news. He wanted that breakfast. <laughs> John Glover is one of the few humans in this movie who really matches up to the Gremlins as far as creating this larger-than-life cartoon persona that he just keeps up the whole movie. Like, he just has this uh, just this reservoir of energy that he just keeps tapping from, and it's it's just insane to watch. And it's worth noting, I just want to circle, last thing on the Trump thing, like, the true Trump surrogate from this year uh, or the year before and then leading into this year is Biff Tannen in Back to the Future 2. Yeah. Who is a dumb idiot who, like, had money fall at his doorstep and then stayed a dumb, rich idiot. And he, he's <laughs> frothing at the mouth. Like, he, he, he yeah. can't control being this, like, sexually assaulting monster. Yeah, so if you want, if you want to see a, a good... Perfect Trump surrogate from uh, the same year, essentially the same year as this. Back to Future 2 is where it's at. And let's put the Trump stuff to bed real quick. Two other Trump things that Clamp does. Well, that's three, I guess. One, the book that Clamp holds up is <laughs> clearly supposed to be, it's clearly supposed to be uh, Trump's book from the 80s. And then two, uh, Clamp specifically asked for a parade for himself. Uh, three. That's more, that's more recent. Yeah, three, yeah this, is, this stuff uh, occurred later. Trump didn't ask for a parade for himself. or At least like his publicists back in the 80s were like, what? Uh and then the third thing is that is that Clamp is just just second nature, just doesn't even think about it, just shreds documents. Like, just that's <laughs> what he does. And that's what Trump does, too. He apparently tears up documents in the office as he goes. Like, Yeah, they have to tape them, they have to tape them back up because he's violating all these laws. Yeah, so, 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 yeah, we can put the Trump stuff to bed, but it is, it's something we have to address because this, these were the people Joe Dante was making fun of. Ted Turner primarily, and then... Uh, Trump as well, because he wanted to kind of make an amalgam of these out of touch New York billionaires that he thought were destroying art, destroying the city, it had some sort of ill effect on how, you know, working young people, working people in the city lived. Yeah. Uh, so let's let's spend the rest of this. You know, uh, we usually end with like any moments we didn't call out. Let's spend the next uh I don't know, hour or 45 minutes or half hour talking about uh, all the moments. Just like the movie just hands the keys over to the gremlins at some point, and then our heroes get to kind of travel through the chaos. Let's hand this podcast yeah. over to the gremlins, because this is, this movie, th where do you even fucking start, man? Like, <laughs> So I'm here's what I'm going to start with. I'm going to say one of my favorites. And it's not even really gremlins related, but it is kind of still corporate related, is... Um, the fire alarm <laughs> message? Yes. yes. So and I'm going to read it verbatim. Fire, the untamed element, oldest of man's mysteries, giver of warmth, destroyer <laughs> of forests. Right now, this building is on fire. And then someone says, what? And he goes, yes, the building is on fire. Leave the building. Enact the age-old drama of self-preservation. Um, I don't know if you could give a Nobel Peace Prize to three lines of dialogue, but whatever our highest honor is as a country should go to the person that wrote that entire thing. It's so good. It is so good. And it's delivered in the movie phone. Yes. Right? Uh, so it is extra 
it, it, it speaks to a lot of things. It speaks to how corporations try and dehumanize things. And then there's like a very human thing going on. And they're like, oh, wait, actually, we have to double back. And then you have this awkward compromise between like the robotics of a corporation and then like the humanness of hearing an actual voice. And also just a, like an almost like an uncaring God figure to say, <laughs> instead of like leave the building or exit the building or move to the nearest exits. Enact the age-old drama of self-preservation. <laughs> like, like, go on, do your best to leave the building. We know that's how your minds work. There's that. There's that one when Phoebe Cates uh, is in the elevator, and she says, "Sound alarm!" And then you just hear a bunch of gremlins going, eh, eh, eh. <laughs> "Yeah, oh, yeah!" Just fucking that's with so her. Good. It's great. That whole elevator scene is great because then it, um, when it like flies down instead and then all of them get smushed and then she walks out that whole thing is awesome. <laughs> yes so speaking of speaking of weird voices coming out christopher lee's lab christopher lee is in this movie the, the fucking magnanimous the heroic the old man who refused to stop being cool is in this fucking movie in in playing a evil scientist and they're running, running this crazy lab that has all these crazy experiments. But my favorite one is like a passing gag and that they're doing some sort of mind control device on cows. And oh, I have this one written down too. A cow walks, a cow walks by <laughs> while they're just having a scene and, it, and the cow's voice, goes, the cow's mental voice goes, I enjoy giving milk. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even mention that uh, Christopher Lee's name in this movie is Dr. Catheter. <laughs> yes, there's the movie is just overstuffed with jokes. Like, I could see someone not liking this movie because there's too many jokes. Like, it feels almost like wet hot it, or something. Sometimes it's exhausting, yeah. It, my face hurts sometimes for, from <laughs> laughing too much or smiling too much. Before we move past Christopher Lee, one thing I did read is that the first thing he said to Joe Dante after he was cast was that he apologized for appearing in uh, The Howling 2. Your sister is a werewolf. <laughs> Christopher Lee did everything, dude. Like, he did respectable shit, and then he looped back around to doing, like, trash, and then he made a made a bunch of huge Hollywood movies before he kind of, like, moved on to making metal. Like, what the fuck did that dude not do? He served in World War II and the Special Forces for Britain? Like, uh, <laughs> Sounds like he didn't serve in World War One. He really does like appearing in sequels. Coward. <laughs> God. I love the Lincoln birthday oh, story. We man. already kind of and that is to it. That is specifically making fun of that moment from the first one because that is something from the first movie that no one will forget because it's Phoebe Cates getting to monologue an incredibly sad monologue. And it is so affecting. Uh, if, if Phoebe Cates didn't have the Fast Times at Ridgemont High uh, bathing suit scene, that would be, I think probably that monologue would be her like most known moment. Yeah, Phoebe Cates really disappeared. Like she just decided, I'm just going to marry Kevin Klein. She, she said, I'm going to marry Kevin kids. Klein, raise kids, get the fuck out of here. But yeah, no, that is so, such a great moment. And the, but you're right. It is the, one of the most memorable parts from the first movie because it is just like a wait. And it feels like such a Joe Dante moment in the first movie where this story just becomes a just becomes a holy fucking shit. That story ends with your dad <laughs> suffocating in the chimney, and then the I love the implication, especially Zach Galligan's reaction that like she may have a ton of these stories that she just <laughs> and she goes into that same zone to like. 
like soap opera mugging to the camera, like slightly off frame, like my father did. It was like, <laughs> okay, we, we just don't have time for another one of these right now. You need and Lincoln's right. birthday of all things is very funny. It's and it's a callback to that <laughs> the the central sequence in the movie. Uh, there's a hand puppet gag where Lincoln shows up for a few seconds. Nobody knows when Lincoln's birthday is. It is not like a prominent holiday. Anymore. Oh, okay. I don't know if it used to be. <laughs> That's even funnier. Yeah, I thought it was it's, a holiday not, for you. Yeah, guys. so yeah. So both both Lincoln's birthday and uh, George Washington's birthday are in uh, February, and so we combined them to President's Day to honor both of them. But yeah, no one knows when. <laughs> Sometime in February is all I know. That's even funnier. Uh, let's talk about the let's talk about the movie breaking scene. So oh. yes, okay. There's two versions of this. Yeah, so we'll talk about that. That is when I fell in love with this movie when they took over the movie itself, and I was on board for the rest of it. But like that was like okay. I love this, where the gremlins actually break the projector that you're watching. A kind of a boring exposition scene, too, which I think is on purpose. And then they never come back to it. It's, like, <laughs> it's almost Joe Dante's way to get out of a scene he didn't care about anymore. Planet which Terror did something funny. interesting as well. They were like, how are these guys going to get out of this burning house? And then there's just a reel missing. Uh, so it has that, the reel breaks, uh, which works really well in um, in the theater. The studio really tried to get him to to take it out even though he had the full control uh but he was like just watch they're like these people are not stupid they'll understand so all the test screenings got it as you mentioned peter for home video they wanted to do something different so they have like the tracking go haywire and it looked like it broke uh the same uh confidence that they gave the audience in the theater did not transfer to home video and there was a huge problem with people taking it out and bringing it back to the rental store uh, with say, thinking that the movie was broken. <laughs> Which the, the, the static thing doesn't last that long. Like it's <laughs> it lasts like seconds. Like don't ever accuse modern people of being impatient. Like it does not last that long. Like people must have freaked the fuck out and then just did they think literally did, did they not know the gremlins are fake yeah what's what's the time frame on that did people have remotes back then i'm pretty young so that's a yeah yeah there was, there was remotes back then but I, it is just funny that people were like well this tape broke. <laughs> i mean there was a problem vhs was a terrible technology and tapes were bad all the time um so like i think a movie theater like real breaking like you have to get up and leave but um I, I could see more people going not giving VHSs that uh, that much of a chance because yeah they're they're pretty pretty shitty to begin with. Um, I really wish they would have done one like DVD and Blu-ray has a very specific thing when there's something wrong too where like you get all the uh, pixelated like squares left over. It would have been fun if they would have uh, shot another version for the. Uh, for for the DVD Blu-ray where it looks like you know a a disc that is scratched. Yeah, for a little bit. I kind of wish at home for two reasons. I kind of wish at home the default was the John Wayne version, the cowboy version. Uh, one because I think they you don't have to see Hulk Hogan because I don't have to look at Hulk Hogan. I think the Hulk Hogan thing is like kind of funny, but like you know he went from like legitimate hero to kids to yeah. Mimi joke to like an assistant to the downfall of independent journalism in america so like i don't really find like the hulkster stuff cute um yeah and i, I can't blame the movie for this this was literally two decades before that happened um two and a half decades before that happened uh 
Yeah, it's like, it's like the the uh, 2018 version of like having Jeff Goldblum. Like that's I was around when like Hulk Hogan is. He was like a universally loved figure. Yes, and but I think the the the, the uh, Hayden, did you get to watch the uh, alternate version for home video? No, I've I've only seen the Hulk version. Okay, so for home video, they make one that is. It, it goes to TV static, sort of like, uh, you know, you the tape is getting fucked up. And then some gremlins show up, do some shadow puppets on the screen, just like they would for the theater version. And then it goes into this, like, cowboy scene. <laughs> and John Wayne uh, eventually shows up. They get stock footage of John Wayne from somewhere, overdub him. And John Wayne and gremlins get into a gunfight. What? That's amazing. Yeah, it's like way funnier to me too than the the uh, Hulk Hogan one, and then eventually John Wayne kills them all, and then <laughs> it it uh, corrects itself to go back to the movie just like it would in the theater version. The theater version has one big plus. Uh, Aaron, do you know what it is? Paul Bartel. Paul Bartel, isn't it? It also uh, when the mom and the daughter leave, the mom goes and complains to Bar. Paul Bartell about how violent the movie is. That is a verbatim conversation that someone had to Joe Dante at uh, (laughs) premiere. Yes. Um, It's it's so funny, though, because Joe Dante clearly, like, has a great memory for how people reacted and read reviews for how people reacted to the first movie. Yeah, because the Leonard Maltin. Leonard Malton yes. thing, because Leonard Malton fucking hated Gremlins. <laughs> Leonard Malton hated Gremlins. He thought it was too mean in a typical sort of uh, Leonard Malton fashion. He's the movie police. So, yeah, Malton agreed to come back and be a uh, review the movie as one of the TV stations, which, by the way, having the whole tower be like, well, not the whole tower, but most of the tower be TV stations or rented space. Genius. I wrote down in my notes, TV station tower is genius. It is, it, it's such a, a, a simple way to get all of these weird, crazy set pieces in and why there's a crazy science lab. Like even Robert Bricardo is like, you guys, your lent, your, uh, sorry, your lease is canceled. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyways. So uh, Leonard Malton is reviewing shows for his, his show and the gremlins show up and then threaten him. And then he like before he gets taken out, he's like, oh, five stars. I mean, uh, two thumbs up or whatever. <laughs> ten out of ten. 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 There yeah, you go. He's, he's reviewing the release of gremlins on VHS, which is so the gremlins VHS uh, and the movie exists in the gremlins. <laughs> uh, two, two universes is two other very quick things about Leonard Malton and reviews of the movie. Uh, Leonard Malton gave this three Gremlins two. He said he liked better than the first one. He gave it two out or uh, gave it three out of four stars in Leonard Malton's movie guide. He said he and then in there it says it deducts one star for a particularly uh, gratuitous cameo. <laughs> I was gonna say he doesn't say what the cameo was, so like you'd have to understand that he uh, that he's in the movie to understand what you, he's talking about in that review. I, I got a question. I I wasn't alive in 1990. How was this movie not a success with Leonard Malton making an appearance? You know, I thought that would have been. <laughs> um, I'm not. I'm not sure if that is sarcasm, <laughs> um, or like the meanest joke in the world to uh, someone who is older than you. Um, <laughs> it's, I'm. I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> I honestly didn't know. Maybe you thought Leonard Malton was like the the kiss of death or the thumbs up, thumbs down, determined box office success. Um, 
the other thing that's very funny about a movie critic that every uh, Peter and I love that we also love to kind of make fun of when his reviews seem particularly bizarre. Uh, Roger Ebert did not like this movie because, quote, it was too similar to the first one. What? Yeah. Um, which, like, Roger Ebert is the best. Sometimes it's so funny when he watched a different movie than the rest of us. But, like, I can't imagine watching this movie and goes, yeah, basically the same. <laughs> like, well, they both have gremlins in more. it. Yeah, I mean, if that's your criteria. And, yeah, things get chaotic. But, like, that—that that is such a funny reason to dislike. This two-movie series is basically like the Alien series, where it's like, yeah, sure, like, Ripley comes back and the Alien comes back, but Alien and Aliens are completely different types of movies. The tone is completely different. Yeah. The comedy, the soundtrack, like, everything is totally different. I feel like Alien and Alien Resurrection is, like, almost... <laughs> gremlins and gremlins 2 like the tone has completely diverted the the sense of um what these characters are is also just treated completely differently like the gremlins weren't in the first movie these like metatextual joke machines they made a few little like winks at pop culture but like it's it, yeah. That's, that's a crazy thing for Ebert to say they're completely different fucking movies you know who else hated this movie who uh, Chris Columbus, who wrote the first Gremlins movie, oh. noted terrible director Chris Columbus, and he has been trying to make a Gremlins 3 for many years uh, without Joe Dante that would pretend this movie did not exist. Why would anybody want that? Anyone. <laughs> Can we uh, park at uh, Gremlins as metatextual joke machines for a second? Uh, I yeah. think yeah. Uh, one of the strokes of genius in this movie is can be found in the Brain Gremlins kind of speech on TV, his TV interview, where he basically oh, stipulates yeah. that the Gremlins are the way they are because they are trying to uh, impersonate mankind. They're trying to form their own human civilization, and all they are <laughs> able to draw from, because they were born in a... You know, a huge tower made of uh, TV stations is pop culture. So basically, their whole life is impersonating people through very, very thin pop culture references. And the way Joe Dante uh, makes that uh, an imperative trait of the Gremlins is just makes every all those references so organic in the movie. They don't detract from the Gremlins as as characters you're right that is one of the strokes of genius about gremlins as characters and they explain it very well but it's also this idea of kind of like roger uh not yeah roger rabbit roger 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 um you know there's a thing in roger rabbit where um where bob hoskins asked him if he could escape from the the handcuffs at any time and Roger Rabbit's like no only one and like that's the that's the rule of the universe is that he literally couldn't he could uh, that's he's a gag machine and gremlins they can't just hurt you they have to be mischievous and dickish (laughs) so like this idea that they're they you know their motivation can't just be we're horror monsters who want to eat you it's we can hurt you really bad but we need to do it in a way that kind of fucks with you a little bit. And that's like our rule. So that that allows for a lot of goofy gags 
without seeming like it's violating you know whatever rules of the universe is set up so like yeah you know the brain gremlin can pull a gun and shoot someone and um which is such a funny moment where he shoots one of the other gremlins uh and it's why the gremlins you don't feel bad when they die or they get their comeuppance which would be really tough if you um or like, oh, they're murdering everyone because the gremlins themselves find it very funny when they get their comeuppance. Like, because they understand that uh, that they had a trick played on them and their entire ethos is like, tricks are good. They're just violent tricks. The cowboy scene in the alternate video version, like, they're like laughing as they're getting murdered by John Wayne. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's – I think that's important. Like, it's important um, – for for so many different reasons, but like, if if it turns into a much more horror movie base, if these creatures are like screaming bloody murder every time they're killed, and a lot of them are killed in this movie, the fact that they always usually die laughing because they understand that they've had their comeuppance is why I think the level of brutality and violence and grossness is able to be played more for comedic effect than like disturbing or scary or like uh or or just guilt free from the audience like you know you don't feel like you're having like this little society being murdered because getting murdered is part of their society i always feel a little bad for the gremlins when they all get bumped off because it feels like the party is ending <laughs> you know <laughs> That's a great scene from – I mean, those special effects in this entire movie are amazing. But, like, that scene where they all, like, melt away is so – it's gross from a special effects uh, standpoint in the best possible way. And it seems so effortless. Like, it feels like Joe Dante figured out so much shit in the first movie that he's like, I don't need to really revel in this because – I can do it. We figured out how to do the molding right. We figured out how to get the models right, the puppets right. Like, I can do this pretty easily. Um, but obviously, this stuff is very t- difficult. But that's just the way Joe Dante phrases it is, is very interesting. The What you say, Aaron, is so important to the Gremlins sort of tone. Because there's a amazing thing in the Christopher Lee's lab where they're mixing up new types of Gremlins. And there's a jar of acid that says, acid. Do not throw in face. <laughs> and then someone throws it in a gremlin's face. And the gremlin is laughing as his face is melting. Like, it is so fucking funny. Hayden, what joke feels Canadian to you? Are you trying to specifically bring up the Canadian restaurant scene? <laughs> okay, so yeah, what do you think of that Canadian scene? Uh, it's funny. <laughs> it's uh, it's very broad. <laughs> I, the Canadian moose is a very, very simple gag that I enjoy. Uh, I like the Bolt Cola or whatever. What is that? Jolt Cola. That That isn't around anymore. That's before my time, so... Yeah, it's not, it's not around in America anymore. Um, the the fact that Mounties are serving is very funny. Uh, and it's supposed to be like an ethnic restaurant, right? Like, it's yeah. like you're trying to <laughs> yeah. impress somebody, you take them to like an Indian restaurant or you take them to a Middle Eastern restaurant or something. But instead you take them to a Canadian restaurant because it's new and hip. Yeah, and, uh, and I don't know if the joke plays this well to Americans, but Canadian food is not different from American food, really. And like people like uh, imagery like Mounties, like... I don't often see Mounties. They're not like a they're not like a very ingrained part of our culture. They're just very easy to spot. Are you saying America has simplified your culture to a way that we can understand and mock because we are 
not great with other cultures that we are applying hate? Uh, yeah, you guys are mocking our culture for sure, but... Uh, oh, okay. I, I can't think of anybody that would be bothered by it. Well, I mean, we we don't have that much of a and I <laughs> I would say cultural identity just because Canada is is strangely connected to the US in a few ways like if we're thinking of movies Canada a professor once told me Canada is the only country in the world which views its own films as foreign films because we are so <laughs> and it's true we don't I I don't go watching you know, Canadian films all the time. I, I go watching American films, you know, and uh, and box office totals are usually including Canada. We don't have a huge film industry. You guys industry have all here. Major League Baseball Yeah, team. exactly. Like, and when uh, me and my friends talk politics, most of the time it's American politics. It's um, Yeah, because you guys are doing fine. <laughs> you know. Better. You're doing better. Yeah. It's not a high bar. <laughs> yeah. So what What else? We could talk about this movie forever. What What other moments do you guys want to call out before we give some final thoughts and wrap up our Dante month? My favorite jokes in this are the throwaway jokes. Like they're talking about these super bouncy tomatoes and <laughs> um, they say that they're they're these disgusting like tomatoes that like don't break when they hit the ground they just keep bouncing and they say oh we've already got chefs for airlines <laughs> looking at these it's just like a very funny way to like make a very air, airline airline food is terrible obviously but it's a funny way to get to that point it's pretty seinfeld though so not many people had made that observation yet Every minute yeah. of this movie has, like, about three throwaway gags that are just really funny to the point where you stop even noticing some of the gags by the third act. Like, there's that scene when, um, oh, what's her, what's her name, uh, Marla, the, uh, you know, Billy's boss, manager, is walking through the hallway and she f- falls into the spider web and all she says is, this is new, as if it's, <laughs> you know, it's comparable to the other random stuff that pops around the building, but she says it in such a nonchalant way that it barely registers as a joke just because jokes are just flying over your head the whole time. And and oh, so that actually ties into one thing that we haven't talked about yet that I really want to touch on, and that's that um, the movie is very much cynical of and critical of how corporations normalize the way that they grind you into the dirt. And the the normalization of working overtime, Billy apparently is just like, he can't even have a fucking plant on his desk because they've already paid money for this corporate approved art <laughs> in the corner, which isn't really how corporations, it's not really how corporations work now. Now they let you put up whatever art you want on the walls and make your art space look all kooky, but then they treat you like you're a cog <laughs> in a wheel. Yeah, part of that is that they do want you to like nest because they, like, if you put stuff up, they're like... Oh, they're staying. Good. So we know how how that's all. <laughs> yes, it makes it harder to leave when you have pictures of your kids and shit at your at your cubicle and stuff. That that thing has kind of changed, but Joe Dante was very critical of that. And and one of the funny sort of uh, over gags of the movie is that as the movie goes on, some people don't seem to even like. <clears throat> be really shaken by the grimace being there or they're like they still are trying to perform their job because like they work for a major corporation like the woman doing the cooking show who's trying to still cook it while the gremlins are bothering her um, <laughs> she's so funny and, yes and the guy the old the guy running the old horror tv show things also is doing the same fucking yeah. thing 
I, w- I want to mention one joke related to the um, can't have stuff on your office desk. That is my favorite joke about that of all time. Uh, and while it's not related to the movie Gremlins, it is related to Canada because it's a Norm MacDonald joke from his show, The Norm oh, Show. Oh, okay. Uh, and Norm MacDonald and is from Canada. But I – and no one knows this joke and it, it is one of my favorite jokes about this where um, he works at this government office uh, in that show and uh, um, the boss comes out and is like – someone has a cross on their desk and he's like, hey – no, 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 no religious symbols. You can't have this out of your desk. You, you know, this is the government. And Norm MacDonald goes, yeah, hey, I don't know if you know this, but there's some Christians in this office, and their savior was crucified on one of these. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love that, man. I'll just, I'll just say real quickly, Gremlins 2 is a movie that rewards repeat viewing, and when you first watch it, it can be a very overwhelming experience because it is such a, it's eight pounds of funny in a five pound bag, like it, it can almost feel like a messy, terrible movie when you first watch it because there's so much going on, but it is a, it is a movie that every year that goes on, despite the fact that it has very of its time jokes Every year that goes on, it gets cooler and cooler. And a lot of that has to do with, A, the amazing practical effects we barely touched on. We just take them as a given now because we're like, well, yeah, Joe Joe Dante and his team are just fucking masters. That stuff has always aged really well. The sense of humor has aged really well because it's very sharp and caustic. And yet also there's jokes for everybody. There's jokes for kids. There's jokes for parents. The fact that it's sort of, and this is the more depressing one, the fact that it's sort of uh, corporate satire stuff has aged mostly pretty well. Joe Dante put his foot down on a few of these things and still managed to wrap it in this subversive package where it's a kid's movie, but it's also a movie for people that have qualms and have reservations about Hollywood and how Hollywood monetizes art. It really has something for everyone. You can't give this movie enough praise because of the way that it manages to wrap up everything it has to say and also make it fun. And And it is known as the ultimate Joe Dante movie for a reason. Yeah, I that's that's perfect. Uh, Hayden, what what are your final thoughts on the new batch of Gremlins? Uh, I think, like Peter said before, it's uh, it's a great comedy because it operates on so many levels of gags. There's so many different types of comedy that are hitting you from all points at all times. I think it's a cleverly constructed movie. It's very well set up. It's very well delivered uh, by the, the time the end comes, and I think it, technically. It's a masterwork at most points. I think it is, weirdly enough, kind of paradoxically, Joe Dante's broadest movie and uh, one of his tightest movies. Yeah, I think it's just a very singular, entertaining, thought-provoking experience that uh, doesn't really get old for me. I've watched it quite a few times leading up to the podcast just to familiarize myself and keep finding new things. I don't think it's a perfect movie, but it's not the type of movie that can be perfect just based on its design, which is uh, just to generously throw as much of itself as it can at you. And I think it succeeds in spades. And um, I would recommend it to many people. List the people specifically you wouldn't recommend it to. I wouldn't recommend. Oh, 
my girlfriend actually uh, because <laughs> my girlfriend is famously amiable and uh, very very agreeable. So she's Canadian. She's Canadian. Uh, she's canadian she's mennonite uh she uh, you know she agrees to go along with kind of whatever wacky thing you know do at the time whatever weird movie i want to put on and she's always she's always uh interested in what i want to watch the weird caveat is gremlins she just hates gremlins i don't know why every time i want to watch gremlins with her she just says no is she scared of them the way that uh aaron's wife shauna is scared of uh willard I think it's the first time it's ever been mentioned on the podcast. <laughs> but yes, my well, it's not that she's she's not. I mean, my wife doesn't like rats, but she fucking hates the movie Gremlin or for the movie Willard for some <laughs> bizarre as yet identified reason to the point that um, she's constantly asking if Peter and I will do it on the show. I, I don't know why to immersion therapy. Yeah, I don't know. Like she, I think she wants us to confirm that it's the worst movie ever. <laughs> I kind of like it. I've my my final thoughts do not do this movie justice, and uh, neither can two hours of discussion, just because it is so loaded with good stuff. But yeah, I, uh, I you know I, I I think you two summed it up perfectly. Um, I'll just say, as kind of mentioned, it really is the ultimate Joe Dante movie. It's the perfect way to end this month. Uh, basically for us, uh, it is, it is everything I love about Joe Dante movies in general packed into like this, it's like a black hole where like the gravity so big at the center cause it, it just is, is so heavy from all of the stuff it's crammed in. There's a lot of Joe Dante movies that have a lot of these elements, but nothing is like compacted, uh, as, as much as this because he had money and he had authority. Uh, so he was able to do exactly what he wanted. Um, and also the advantage that he had with this, even if he had given had the same level of control and money in another movie, it's a sequel. So he doesn't have to set up all that much. You know, he he's reintroducing you to a couple characters and then is able to create his kind of domino masterpiece and knock everything over over a very long uh, period of time. And so it is It is a very one-of-a-kind movie. It's – to circle back to the beginning, it's the reason why that, that Key and Peele sketch, uh, you know, was just four years ago, 24 years after this movie came out. Because this, this is such a unique vision that had a lot of things going for it that, like, the people that saw it and the people that love it, like, speak highly of it because it is such a unique movie to exist. And apparently it also, you know – uh, fucked over Dick Tracy. So, depending on your views of Warren Beatty and Madonna, could be great. <laughs> the, this is the, the the center of the universe for for Joe Dante. He has so many other great movies, but they all circle around this for like this being the most uh, pure example of of that aesthetic, which which I love so so much. So, Hayden, thank you so much again for for being on this episode. Uh, I, I can't wait to have you back. I already mentioned off mic I have an idea for the next time you're back, so I hope you had fun and will join us again. Oh, thanks for having me. I had tons of fun, and I can't wait for whatever whatever weird game you have planned for us. Hayden, you mentioned some things that you are working on. What do you have to promote? Well, apart from the TV show that I, I'm not sure how much I can talk about, uh, you can check out uh, some of my amateur student work if you're tired of professional movies um 
You can you can uh, find my most recent short film, my only short film <laughs> published, uh, Hold Up, on YouTube. If you search my name uh, in conjunction with Hold Up, I'm sure you'll find it. Just a little eight-minute short I made last spring. Uh, and then if you're a Manitoban listener, I'm not sure how many of those you guys have. Um, no, no offense to you guys. Well, hopefully with your help, we'll get more. <laughs> it's a very sparse place, but um, <laughs> I have a short premiering at the Gimli Film Festival in a couple of weekends. I'm sure nobody knows what that is. So there you go. That's super exciting, though, if and you... I can't wait to watch the short. Yeah, that's awesome. It will be included. It will be linked and included in the show notes, so people will be able to watch it. You don't even have to search. Yeah, just click the link. Yeah, I mean, it has no production value or uh, budget, but uh, the thing I like to think about it is that it shows potential. (laughs) Yeah, well, you'll get your your Joe Dante moment at some point. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm very excited to watch it, but thank you so much for coming on, Hayden. You were awesome. So, Aaron... Next week's a surprise. We had, there was one other Tuesday in July, so we have one other Joe Dante uh, related thing coming your way next week. If you want a Dante, if you want a Dante, if you want an El Dente, that's pasta. You, you can't you can't eat this podcast. <laughs> can't do it. <laughs> so I mean, you can try, but you're probably just going to end up actually eating the device the podcast is on, not the actual podcast, because this is intangible. Yeah. Uh, it's just sound. Guys, stop. But is it like... We say it all the time. Every week, we have to end the podcast saying, stop trying to eat salad. But is it like <laughs> eating the heart of one of your opponents in that the heart is merely uh, a symbolic vessel for their power and their, their, their ability? You know what? Clearly, we have to remind everyone so much. I'm sure a bunch of our listeners have found out. So, yeah, you know, if you're one of those idiots that ate your iPhone to get back at us, send us a note, send us an email, <laughs> let us know how you're doing. If you feel like you've gained some of our power or uh, or not, and then we can put it as a warning. We'll put a link, we'll put a link in this the show notes as well to how eating your iPhone went to take revenge on us. Uh, yeah, so we have a surprise Joe Dante episode. Not one of his movies. He's done a lot of other things, and we talked about that. So we're very excited about that. And then uh, I don't think we have a name for August yet, but we can announce the movies and the guests and the uh, order will come uh, as a surprise to you because we haven't fully figured that out yet. But uh, the month is uh, Man is the Most Dangerous Game. Is that what we're doing with? Yeah. Man is the Most Dangerous yeah. Game. People are the Most Dangerous Game, I think is more appropriate. Man is the most. Man is the second most dangerous game. Woman is the most dangerous game. Uh, I think the game uh, Sorry is the most dangerous game mm. because if you don't say sorry, you can really hurt some feelings. But uh, yeah, it's a f- favorite game for Canadians. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> and if you don't say sorry, you can get in some trouble, which is the second most dangerous game. <laughs> Hayden, this is what it's like when it gets late <laughs> uh, for us. Uh, so, so yeah, so uh, we are doing Battle Royale with Bridget Taylor. We're doing Turkey Shoot with Rick Kelly. We're doing uh, Targets with the Costume oh, I love Brothers. Targets. And then uh, Hard Target with Marcus Jones. So it is a guest-filled uh, month, and we're very excited to talk about all those movies. Uh, it was kind of a perfect way to throw some stuff in um, that we've been wanting to talk about for a long time. And yeah, we're sorry we're not doing Series 7's The Contender. Maybe be in print next time. 
uh, as opposed to out of print, which I think is a Canadian production, Hayden. So uh, tell whoever is over there in the Canadian DVD factory to start making those things again. Start pumping we'll them out. Oh, we're still uh, we're still at VHS. We're not at DVDs yet. Oh, jeez. What's what's a Canadian way to say good night? Couldn't do better than you. Oh, good night. <laughs> <laughs> I love colloquialisms. They're so charming and lovely. Got nothing better to do than watch TV and have a couple of brews. Everybody's gonna hang out here tonight. All right. We'll pass out on the couch. Hey folks, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we've got just a few quick announcements for you. There ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs, baby. If you'd like to talk to us, uh, tell us we're stupid, tell us we're beautiful. The quickest way to get to us is our Facebook group, facebook.com slash we love to watch. Or our website, WLTWpodcast.com. Leave us a comment. Tell us we're doing a good job. Only tell us we're doing a good job. We're so sensitive. We're sensitive boys. We're soft boys. And uh, if you'd like to help other people, if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine, fine program that we produce at no cost, We don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available if you don't use iTunes. We're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, Tune in. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll take that out if SoundCloud goes away. (laughs) That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, Let us know what you guys are thinking. And again, above all else, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch.